Welcome to the Wilderness Outreach Mancast. My name is John, and I'm here with my brother Peter, my brother in Christ, Peter, I should say. And Mancast is your weekly adventure into the wilds of masculine spirituality, where we will be hunting for the meaning of manhood, tracking down the intersection of faith and science, uncovering true leadership, and searching for the deep meaning of the history of God's created universe. So strap on your hiking boots and your backpack, grab your compass and your map, and let's get rolling. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray well. Please bless our families and all those who are taking part in the man cast tonight and in the future. Amen. And uh, amen. yeah, please uh, bless everyone and uh yeah. Amen. Father, Son, Holy amen. Spirit. Amen. St. <laughs> Joseph Terror Demons. Pray for us. Yeah. So we have Advent. We're close upon the birth date of our Lord. And uh, so how's Advent going, been going for you, Peter? It's going all right. Feeling a little sluggish, a little yeah. uh, seasonal sluggishness. You could hear yeah. in my opening prayer there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man. I think it has something to do with the light, right? the the light deprivation of the northern hemisphere. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I think that it's hard. It's easy to forget how the seasons affect us throughout the and, year. Yeah, and how they operate. should affect us. Right. Yeah. 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 We're we're kind of programmed to be like, we think we should be on all the time or something. Right. And it's like, no, yeah. the, the human body is an organic thing. It's not something created in the laboratory, you know, by Google or uh, Tesla or, uh, you know, any of those guys. So it's like, yeah, we have this, the natural rhythms kind of get re reminds me of what we talked about last week with S Simon Sinek and the five hormones, right? Those natural hormones and the fact that we're, neolithic people yeah and we're integrated with the the natural environment so you know we're not uh, so yeah this time of the year i think it's typical for us to like oh it's not 7 30 p.m and the sun's down it's dark it's like i'm starting to get sleepy already so. <laughs> yeah yeah and like i think society pushes it on us so hard that we always need to be producing or like mm. you know what's next yeah. And I fall right into that category. Yeah. So it, it's easy to, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Hyperactive and just ready for to go. It's like, why yeah. am I tired? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Hey, what do you, what do you say? We jump into evening prayer. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. So tonight is evening prayer for Advent, uh, December 22nd, 2022. And, uh, so, God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Come and rescue me, for you are my refuge and my strength. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my arms for battle who prepares my hands for war. He is my love, my fortress. He is my stronghold, my savior, my shield, my place of refuge. He brings peoples under my rule. 
Lord, what is a man that you care for him, mortal man that you keep him in mind, man who is merely a breath, whose life fades like a shadow? Lower your heavens and come down. Touch the mountains. Wreathe them in smoke. Flash your lightnings. Rout the foe. Shoot your arrows and put them to fight, flight. Reach down from heaven and save me. Draw me out from the mighty waters, from the hands of alien foes whose mouths are filled with lies, whose hands are raised in perjury. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Come and rescue me, for you are my refuge and my strength. Bless those, O Lord, who have waited for your coming. Let your prophets be proved true. To you, O God, who I sing a new song. I will play on the ten-stringed harp. To you who give kings their victory, who set David, your servant, free. You set him free from the evil sword. You rescued him from alien foes, whose mouths were filled with lies, whose hands were raised in perjury. Let our sons then flourish like saplings, grow tall and strong among their youth. Our daughters graceful as columns, adorned as though for a palace. Let our barns be filled to overflowing with crops of every kind, our sheep increasing by the thousands. Myriads of sheep in our fields, our cattle heavy with young. No ruined wall, no exile, no sound of weeping in our streets. Happy the people with such blessings. Happy the people whose God is the Lord. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, as now, and will be forever. Amen. Bless those, O Lord, who have waited for your coming. Let your prophets be proved true. Turn to us, O Lord. Make haste to help your people. We praise you, the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. You have assumed your great power. You have begun your reign. The nations have raged in anger, but then came your day of wrath and the moment to judge the dead, the time to reward your servants, the prophets, and the holy ones who revere you, the great and the small alike. Now have salvation and power come, the reign of our God and the authority of his anointed one. For the accuser of our brothers is cast out, who night and day accuse them before God. They defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Love for life did not deter them from death, so rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell therein. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Turn to us, O Lord. Make haste to help your people. Be patient, my brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer awaits the precious yield of the soil. He looks forward to it patiently while the soil receives the winter and the spring rains. You too must be patient. Steady your hearts because the coming of the Lord is at hand. See, the judge stands at the gate. 
Come and set us free, Lord God of power and might. Come and set us free, Lord God of power and might. Let your face shine upon us, and we shall be saved. Lord God of power and might. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Come and set us free, Lord God of power and might. O King of all nations, the only joy of every human heart, O keystone of the mighty ark of man, come and save the creature you fashion from the dust. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, as now, and will be forever. Amen. O King of all nations, the only joy of every human heart, O keystone of the mighty ark of man, come and save the creature you fashion from the dust. To Christ our Lord, who humbled himself for our sake, we joyfully say, Come, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, by your coming, you rescued the world from sin. Cleanse our souls and bodies from guilt. By the mystery of your incarnation, we are made your brothers and sisters. Do not let us become estranged from you. Do not judge harshly. Those you redeemed with such great cost. No age, O Christ, is without your goodness and holy riches. Enable us to merit the enduring crown of your glory. Lord, to you we commend the souls of your departed servants. Having died to the world, may they be alive in you forever. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God our Father, you sent your Son to free mankind from the power of death. May we who celebrate the coming of Christ as man share more fully in his divine life, for he lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. And may the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen. So we continue our journey about leadership. And as promised last week, we're going to talk about extreme ownership. So I, I'm trying to recall how I first heard of extreme ownership. So it's a, uh, it's one of those books I'd say, yeah, that was, that was, uh, something I needed to read. It was very powerful. 
and it's got some really good concepts in it and it ties very well into some of the other things we've already talked about in detail and maybe we'll point some of those out tonight but it's kind of interesting as we make this journey into leadership at the end of this we're going to wrap it all up and talk about this concept of the perennial philosophy of leadership which really means what are these core principles that all the great leadership works hit into, right? What is, they're all kind of saying the same thing, maybe in a little different way. And there'll be a few things that might be different, but there's this core, these core principles that are really at the core of what true leadership is. And so tonight we kind of start talking again about extreme ownership was a, a book written by two uh, Navy SEALs, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And I'm thinking the book's a, at least five years old now. And yeah, for sure it's five years old, I think. So I think it goes, this could go back to, it could be as, as, as many as seven or eight years even, but uh, could be that Jim Hahn told me about this book initially. So, uh, mm. so I got the book and I read it and it's like, yeah. Yep, this is hitting right where it's supposed to. So uh, we're going to talk about some of those principles. And um, the first one really is a reflection of what extreme ownership means. And that this idea that leaders are responsible for everything. So if you, if you really want to be a leader, if you really want to possess that mantle, then be prepared. Be prepared to be the guy that everybody turns towards and if it gets messed up or if it goes well. And so extreme ownership is just that. It's just like as the leader, you have to own it all. And I think the, the principle that there is that even though that, that almost sounds like an impossible task, the more you push that boundary, the more you say, yes, I'm going to push into to absolute extreme ownership and own everything, uh, that the better the leader you're going to be. So, and it's, and you can kind of see like right out of the bat, this is kind of, if we go back to, uh, Covey's principle, his first principle was proactivity, which is basically the same principle, right? So proactivity means I am responsible though he's talking more on a personal level, but that's where true leadership starts is on that personal level of self self knowledge and, and personal responsibility. And uh, you might even say he's kind of like Stephen Covey's proactivity on steroids. Cause I think with Covey, he's really, he's talking to the individual. You need to be personally responsible for your own actions. Whereas extreme ownership, no, you're going to be responsible for the entire organization, the entire team. The, you know, in the case of Babin and, and Welling, it was really being responsible for the whole SEAL team yeah. and everything that happened and all the other people that you're, you're fighting with, you know, all the coordination. And, and uh, so the, the book is based on uh, uh, the Battle of Ramada in Iraq. And that's where those, those men fought for our country there. And, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a great book. Yeah. I think everybody should read it. 
I, uh, I don't know how I heard about it either, John. I can't, I, I can't really put my finger on it, but I think I started listening to his podcast before that. Cause like when you get into like the whole, when you do get into these principles, you kind of start to see them everywhere. And I, I've found that I'm drawn to those when people are speaking to those principles of leadership, I'm drawn to that, to listen mm -hmm. and to see what way they say it. You know what I mean? So you've listened to some of his podcasts then. Yeah. A good amount of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some, some good stuff. It's a resounding, um, just over and over again, the extreme ownership is yeah is right. hammered in there. Yeah. And a yeah. lot of different ways and different stories. It's cool. Yeah. in in that, you know, one of the, the great stories in uh, extreme ownership is this one where I think they're in that, the, you know, the buds training, which they call, I think called hell week or something. And the yeah. seals, it's kind of like, they've already thrown everything at you and then they're going to like, okay, like one of the last hurdles before you actually become a seal is you're going to go through hell week. Yeah. And they have like, maybe let's just say they have 36 men that are going through the seal training to try to pass, to become a seal. And they're in teams of six and everything's like team oriented and right. it's, it's survival. It's being tough. It's just like, you know, digging it out grueling i mean everything from just i mean and it's it's cold it's miserable the whole week is just like just pushing your body to the max but you're in a team and as the and there's all these competitions and as the week goes on these teams will uh, be vying for number one right so there's six places and it's definitely not one of those places that everybody gets a trophy you know it's like yeah. uh, there's only one winner <laughs> right you know and it's Absolutely. like and if you if you're one of the losers too bad dude you didn't try hard enough right you yeah. didn't have what it takes so no whining and complaining and and uh but anyway uh so there's one particular story they're talking about that there would be one leader for each one of these six teams and as the teams are competing through the you know the a couple days or something there's like team one, two, three, four, five, six. And what they're noticing is that, uh, specifically the, the sixth place team, the leader of that team is doing a lot of complaining about his men. He's basically saying, well, these guys suck. Yeah. That's why our team, you know, if a way, you know I mean? So he's like, it's all about the, they, they're terrible, you know, and, and they're he's not a pretty not, good. He was a pretty good, he was a pretty good like performer too, right? Like physically, like if I'm remembering correctly, like he was oh, like, our, a, yeah, like yeah. a solid dude, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. Like they expected like, him to be like a top, top performer in this. Yeah. These guys are top notch. I mean, every one of them, you're not getting in the yeah. door, you know, unless you're like top notch. And it's like the, but anyway, he, uh, so what they did, they took the, the guys, the guy, the team that was leading, they switched the leaders out. So they said, okay, we'll give you the team that's in the first place and we'll give the guy who's in first place, you'll give him your team. Yeah. So guess what happens? <laughs> I mean, every, you can kind of guess what happens, even if you didn't know this, but the, the team that was in last place, all of a sudden with this new leader, they start climbing, they start climbing, man. They're, they go to fifth place and they're in fourth place and then they're in third place. And then they're, they're like climbing clear up to second place. They never quite made it to first place, but the guy that had the first place team fell back down to the last place again. 
so the moral of the story is that leadership means a lot, right? And and that type of leadership and that 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 no, it's it was a leadership problem, and that's why they that's why they failed. So he he lacked something about how to be a good leader. And uh, so yeah, so that's kind of like that's principle number one of leaders are responsible for everything. Yeah, the uh, the second kind of point of the book is uh, embracing constructive conflict. So it's like arguing your for your position after you've earned it, really. So like the first guy in that team was obviously um, the one that got switched into last place was probably <laughs> kind of confused, you know. <laughs> Like he was, he was probably a little irritated going from first place, taking, building this team, right. And feeling like he was owning it, owning this team to getting that torn away from him and starting over with a entirely different team that seemed to suck. <laughs> I'm sure his ego got in the way of that a little bit in some, in some aspect, but he obviously got over it rather quickly. You know what I mean? Well, in, in fact, you might even say that's that's really one of the prints. That's one of the character traits of a true leader. Right. It's, you know, I think his ability and it's called reframing. OK. Oh, you just threw me a big pile of crap. OK. Watch what I do with this. Right. right. So it's like the the true leader has that kind of, oh, you just threw me something. You think that's knocking me off my game. Now watch what I'm going to do with it. Right. Right. So it's like, I'm, I'm going to lead better, faster. You know, I'm going to dig, I'm going to pour guys together. We're going to dig out of this and we're going to be in. So he's already reframing, you know, so you're right. Like his first response might've been like, wow, this is, you know, this is bad. I don't like this, but it didn't last long. Did it? Yeah. It definitely was like more of a, of, I mean, initially i think it's in our human nature to have that victim mindset especially in situations like that like for real man <laughs> but i think that that's like i think some people do that a lot more naturally than others but i believe that's a a trait that everyone that's learnable for everybody you know what i mean reframing in that perspective of like okay what can this be not what is it right now what can this be Right, right. No, I, I agree with you. You know, there's this whole thing called neuroplasticity, which means that basically our brains can learn, you know, even when you're old, you know, there's, we can learn new, new ideas and new tactics and new disciplines that make us better. Right. And yeah. Uh, Teaching yeah, old so, dog new tricks, right? Yeah. Right. It's possible. Just, yeah. So you got to imagine that in the, uh, like, in, you know, since these guys, all these guys are, uh, uh, um, you know, they're the top, they're the cream of the crop and they, um, and they have great experiences in their life. So they're all in a sense champions, right? So then when they get in a particular situation, let's say like in the battle of Ramada, there's a lot of bit, there's a lot of big characters there. Yeah. And everybody's got an opinion. And, uh, so it kind of makes, you know, so the, the, the idea of constructive, constructive conflict also 
requires that with your opinion, you're supposed to state your opinion, right? But not let, not let your ego get so involved with your opinion that you can't hear a better opinion. Yeah, that you identify with it. Because like you said, like all these guys are, even in Hell Week or in Buds or whatever, like they're top tier. Like they've, like I think Jocko goes over this in the book a little bit to where it's like, none of these guys were used to losing anything, you know, like they've either worked so hard that they've won or figured it out to where they've, they've won it. So they have that entitlement in their opinion, almost like, no, I've, I've worked for this. So like, yeah. 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 So, so if my opinion's not good, prove it to me. Right. Argue with me, show me why it's not good, but you better come with your best stuff. Which Didn't is that's, about, that's uh, do what that is what you want, right? That I mean, yeah. as a true leader, you want men around you that are basically saying, "Don't bring that garbage into the pit." You know, it's like going to get shoved. Yeah, and but you got to be you got to be kind of nimble at the same time, and all of a sudden realize, no, wait a minute here. I think maybe I'm wrong, and you're right. I think you do have a better idea. You know, that that's happened like that happened this past year out in the Sierra Nevada when we're doing some rock work. There's a a good brother named Nick out there, and he argued with me about this one particular piece of rock he was trying to work with. And I was convinced that, nah, just take it out. It's not going to work. Right. And And he persisted with me and wouldn't let it go. And I finally I slowed myself down and thought about it and finally said, no, actually, I think you're right. That will work. And then we proceeded, but it was, a, it was good. Right. So it's yeah. like, there's that constructive conflict again. So within any team, uh, with any, you know, any organizational structure, you want people to be able to embrace constructive conflict. Yeah. It's like iron sharp sharpens iron. It really is. Yeah. You know, that's a uh, Patrick Lencioni, who's a great leadership consultant as well. That's, one of his uh, his uh, uh, his ideas as well is that you want teams of people that trust one another so that they can embrace conflict like that, so they can argue out argue the good ideas out, right? So it's yeah. yeah. But but you can't own it. You can't own your ideas to the point where you really think you're the smartest guy on the block because then you're, yeah. then you make yourself weak and in your team weak as well. Cause yeah, pride just kind of messes the whole thing up. Yeah. I think that's easy to do in our families, in our family life as well. Mm-hmm. Like uh, just thinking, I mean, for me, like thinking I know what's best for my kids and uh, easily shutting out, other opinions in particular from like my their mom you know (laughs) (laughs) it's very easy to do in the situation i find myself in and it's wrong you know what i mean because she wants the best from for them and just like jordan peterson's one of his 12 rules is you can learn something from everybody you meet right or i don't know if that's one of his rules or just something he says all the time but it is yeah so like reframing that situation into like okay and taking a step back like i maybe i don't know what's best here or maybe she has an idea that might be you know the the synergistic outcome we're looking for but Mm -hmm. yeah 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 imagine that the person you're talking with 
know something that you don't. I think that's Jordan Peterson's take on that. And then with, uh, with what, uh, with Stephen Covey, it's, uh, seek first to understand, right? Yeah. yeah. How do I, so, and then both of those imply that you've got to have this, another quality that, uh, that uh, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin are talking about, which is called authentic humility. That's pretty profound. And then, I mean, this here, here, these guys, the toughest dudes in the world, smart, dangerous, you know, athletic. Uh, and so they've, they've, they've developed this idea of authentic humility as being a key to extreme ownership. And, you know, humility is a, uh, it is an interesting word because so many people confuse what it really means. Yeah. It carries some negative connotations in society as a whole right now. I think it's just like, like you, uh, like if you're being humble, you're just letting people like kind of push you around, be like this whiny sissy baby. Like, Oh, I'm not going to say anything because I'm just being humble. And that's really not what it is at all. It isn't. It's, it, it's, it's a couple different things. You know, I, you know, our Lord tells us that it, to, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like children. And I think that sort of relates to this. And it's, in other words, on one level, it's like you have to see with the eyes of a child, which means seeing a situation or the world for the first time, because our pride or mental models that we're locked into because of our prior experience is going to keep us focused on something else where these other things that are going on will fail to see it without, without authentic humility. And then the other thing about authentic humility, which is really important, that this is where we really get confused because we, we think that, well, to be humble, you have to be a doormat, right? right. Oh, yeah, I'm the worst guy <laughs> in the world. Yeah, I'm terrible. That, that false humility. But it's really, it's knowing what, knowing first that you are made for great work. You're a, you know, you're a son or a daughter of the, of the, the creator, and he's created you with great potential to do great work. And your job is to find out what that great potential is and do that great work. And that's humility as well. Mm. So that's a con. So in other words, going after what you are made to go after. And that's, that's really a, 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 a uh, an aspect of humility. Hmm. yeah that kind of ties into the other things we we're talking about as well like you can't really take constructive con criticism if you, you're not humble or like aware enough to know that that's what's going on you'd see it as an attack or like some some negative energy coming your way mm-hmm yeah they this you're arguing with me because you don't like me you know right. it's, you're disrespecting me it's like no yeah. it's got nothing to do with that yeah and then also if you don't have it you don't you're not able to say this is my fault you know this is my problem it when it when it doesn't seem like it is or should be you mm -hmm. know at all hmm. so this next point is 
decentralized command. Um, I don't know a whole lot about this one, John. You want to? <laughs> yeah, regret to say that, but you want to tackle this? <laughs> That's okay. You're being humble. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's it's really this Catholic concept of subsidiarity. So decentralized command, which is what's so cool about the way the Navy SEAL teams work. If within the you know, like they have their their teams, like say the guys that went and killed Bin Laden. Uh, SEAL Team 6, I think that was, right? And uh, they are trained so that they can, once they've got the, the their orders, and they've, they've then they'll train for a particular uh, mission, and they're kind of, they stand alone in a sense, right? So they're working out all the details within their small group of how they're going to approach something, how they're going to solve a problem, how they're going to, you know, take a, a, a team of combatants out. And so once they are released onto that project, they're working with their team with very little influence from, you know, command structures above them. Mm. And that's really, so that decentralized command is really important in the way their organizations work. And the other concept about that is that, that there's a belief that the guys who are closest to the boots on the ground action are the ones that actually know things better. Right. So we need to yeah. let the guys close to the action who are in the action actually be making the strategic critical decisions. And so this idea of decentralized command means that, okay, the power of the decision-making is going to be within that team itself. Mm. And that's what's interesting about that. I mentioned the Catholic perspective of subsidiarity because at the heart of social justice, and we hear a lot about social justice these days, and uh, in, the, in, in our Catholic social justice teachings, subsidiarity is at the heart and soul of that. So the idea is that decisions that affect people like political decisions, for instance, need to be made as close to boots on the ground as you can get. And that's where the best decisions are made. When you violate those, that principle, we end up getting problems. So what happens, and this is, and this comes down to this idea that big government just is not good. Yeah. This is one of those conservative values that where we just know that big government's not good because it's sitting up there at 30,000 feet. Think, you know, people think they know the answer to things and they don't because they're not, they're not working on a boots on the ground type of, of situation. A good example of that is the, uh, the war on poverty. So your mom and dad might be old enough to remember this, but I certainly am. <laughs> but so after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, who's been in the news a little bit again, because we've come past his uh, anniversary date here of his assassination recently, the, uh, um, the uh, Lyndon Johnson became the president of the United States and he started this 
uh, effort that he called the war on poverty. And his concept was basically, we're just going to give poor people money because that's the problem. So, and it's kind of like, it sort of makes some sense, right? What is poverty? Poverty is the lack of money. So people that don't have money who are poor will give them money and that'll solve the problem. Right. They're, they're fine now. Yeah. Everything's good, right? <laughs> you gave them what they needed. Yeah. Right. Well, if you go from like, so that, that occurred, let's say by the, by 1964, I think the war on poverty was moving pretty fast and ten, within 10 years, the effects of that was the destruction of the inner city family. Mm. So what happened is that the government became the father figure for the inner city family. And so it destroyed the family structure and it caught and 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 all that so you can look around the world today and within our country for instance all the chaos that we see all the pain and the suffering comes from the lack of fatherhood the lack of fatherhood in an intact nuclear family mm. and that was destroyed by the war on poverty because of big ideas by big government so good example of why we shouldn't have centralized command. We really need people boots on the ground, working, solving problems together. Yeah. Yeah. And then from there, um, that then we can lead up and down the chain of command too. Right. Like Jocko talks about, like when we are boots on the ground and we're making those calls, it's like, why? Cause then you have to report, you know what I mean? And if you do a good job of that and take accountability for everything in your world around you, then you have the power to make a change. You know what I mean? Instead of complaining because it was the winter solstice yesterday and everybody was tired. It's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you make a good point there because it's, uh, it's like, so on our team, you know, and for instance, just like our teams that we have on a wilderness outreach, right? It's kind of open for discussion, right? Yeah. So, so each man has the influence to, uh, to come up with an idea or change a plan and, and he voices that. And if, if the plan has merit, then good, let's go for it. Let's try right. it. And so that, and, and what we want, so like within that team structure of this, decentralized command team structure we want everybody to feel like no i've got a say in this right so yeah. so even if i'm like the the most junior lowest level member of the team if i'm sitting there it's like wait a minute here i'm seeing something going wrong or i think i've got a better idea or something we want you to speak up don't we we want right. no speak up so lead up and you know that's leadership. So yeah, so in a, in your own way, even as the the most junior leader, I'm accepting extreme ownership for myself as a principal. Absolutely. And if I see our team heading down someplace that I don't think that's the right way to go or the you know uh, the right time or whatever, 
I have to take that principle of extreme ownership as the the youngest, lowest member of the team and say, no, I got to I got to I've got to voice my opinion and go argue this out. Yeah. And uh, just like Covey's. um, What is I'm drawing a blank. I had it. It's gone. <laughs> it's the solstice. Gone. It's the gone. darkness outside. It's not, right? <laughs> no, I'll get it back. I'll find it. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> but he does talk. You're right. So, you know, Covey talks about how, like, within an organization, a lot of people, they want to complain about the leader, right? Yeah. And he, he's like, well, so as a follower within an organization – what you have to do is figure out what that man needs to have done yeah, and figure out how to do it better to help the whole, the whole situation out. Right. So move off and become an expert at something and then go after it. Right. Yeah. It came back. So I was, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about how Covey says, Oh, you see it differently than me. That's good. Yeah. So like in that group setting when it's like the the most junior person, you know what I mean? Like it's intimidating to speak up and say something, but if we're all operating in the paradigm, the shared vision of like, oh, it's good that we're all different and that there's somebody else that sees something differently, mm-hmm. it's much easier to say, "Hey, this is what I think and this is why." Yeah. You know. Yeah, you know, I heard it said of Abraham Lincoln uh, a couple things. One that the guys he had on his cabinet, he wanted those men to be people that had their own opinions and would argue with him. Yeah. And it was also said that, uh, he met somebody once and said, you know, I just met this guy. I don't like him very much. (laughs) And then he said, I think I need to get to know him better. Mm. So instead of pushing him away from that, there's that constructive con- conflict idea again. Yeah. Right? So in other words, he's here's constructive, here's conflict. And so the typical human being might say, well, I'll get away from that. That's uncomfortable, right? And it's like, but in extreme ownership, it's like conflict. Let's move into that, right? It's it's, yeah. it's a whole different mindset. So it's like, no, discomfort. Oh, good. Let's go for it, you know? Yeah. It's cold outside. Good. Let's go take a walk in it. I can't remember if it's bison or like cows or, but I know cow, I think cows, when they see a storm coming, they go the other way, like trying to get away from it. Right. Mm. And I think that I can't remember if it's bison or some other kind of like herding animal like that, but they'll go straight into it and try to get through it to get through the storm faster. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 But that's like the same kind of thing is like, when we run from that conflict, I think we, we either stay in the storm forever of like ignorance <laughs> and like not knowing what's going on or being afraid to know what's going on or change our position. But when we go into that conflict with that open mindset, it's on the other side of the storm. It's obviously a much more beautiful scenario. Yeah. And it's like, you know, well, what else is there anyway? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, how long it's change will we around or die. This joint, you know? <laughs> change or die. <laughs> I know. It's like, yeah. you know, the, the Psalms say, you know, you'll live to be 70 and 80 for those who are strong. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, man, it's time to get busy and be dangerous, right? Move and into women, the conflict. Yeah, women typically live 
outlive men. I think the oldest person in the world just died the other day. It was like 119 or something like that. Something wild in Japan. What, what was she was was the woman was she a woman? Or yeah, was, it was a woman. And then woman. the next one that's alive right now is 118. It's also a woman. Wow. Yeah. Right. Huh. Random. <laughs> yeah. No, that's 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 interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so another part of this idea that we're having about, uh, you know, subsidiarity or, you know, leading up and down the chain of command is that within a team structure, then within the SEAL area, say within an organization, whether it's a, you know, it could be a, um, you know, a production type of organization could be a construction company, could be an, any number of, of things. It could be, you know, working at Walmart and being part of the uh, maintenance team. Right. Yeah. And, and so that is that you need to understand and assume the responsibility for your area. Yeah. So you really got to be good at that. Right. So you really dig in deep into your, and it's and this is kind of an interesting idea because it's like this leadership model is calling you to be plugged in up here. Yeah. Plugged in with the leadership that's leading the team. But, okay, I'm expert at this. I'm the best there. And then becoming the best that you can be at this thing, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, you could think of it like a basketball or a football team, right? So each each member of a football team is like the center. He's going to be the best at at uh, you know passing the ball back to the quarterback, and then blocking for the quarterback, and then the guards and the tackles, and everybody's got this specific position that they need to be really good at, but at the same time, really understanding their area of expertise. Right. I think that's important in all aspects of life, for sure. I think that the way Jocko frames this is uh, it's very cool. It just makes you, this book makes you want to change your life. I think <laughs> when, I, when I read it anyway, it was like, yeah, dude, who's in charge of everything. It's like you, like, I think uh, I still every day. I mean, I usually take one or two things from a book, but from this book, I've taken a few. And one of them is just like, whose fault is everything? <laughs> yours <laughs> everything <laughs> i don't care it's your fault you're the only one that can change any aspect of it at all and so like it's funny because i never had this like taught to me as a as a kid of like having this responsibility of like my world you know and um today we were getting in the car to go to my mom's and eli was like i'm cold and i was like why are you cold and he was like, I didn't get a jacket. And I was like, well, why not? And he said, you didn't tell me to. And I was like, did you know it was cold outside? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I was like, whose fault is this? And he looked down and he was like, it's my fault. I should have got a jacket. <laughs> so it's funny just being able to, you know what I mean, share that with them now from, from how I was raised. It's a lot different. Yeah, well, that's good. You're really doing that kind of work with them too. That you're, you know, having the patience to ask questions because it's, I mean, how old is Elijah now? He's five. So I mean, it's pretty young, right? Yeah. And you're teaching him some good principles there to understand that. No, I made this choice to not yeah. get a coat, right? 
and it's right. cold out. I'm uncomfortable. So the choice I made led to my sense of discomfort right now. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's funny. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because they get to kind of see both sides of the pond. Like the other day, Amelia made a comment about how they just don't have any, uh, she's like, I love being at my mom's house because we don't have any rules, but I like being here too, because we have rules. <laughs> so, <laughs> <it's funny. laughs> yeah. Well, it is, it is, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, obviously there's, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's different types of child rearing ideas that, uh, We'll call them liberal and right. <laughs> there's the liberal ones, and then there's the correct ones, right? Or something yeah. like that. Which, and and of course, you know, that goes back to Jordan Peterson. You know, one of his rules is uh, don't allow your children to grow up into being people that nobody likes. <laughs> you know, it's like, and that's your fault if they do that. So parents, yeah. listen up, right? It's like, yeah. yeah, that's your duty. That's your extreme part of your extreme ownership is ensuring that your children grow into adults that other people like, even to be children that other people like, right? So they're yeah. teens. It's yeah. a hard pill to swallow because it's like, okay, they just did that. And I didn't teach them that, but it's still yeah. it's my fault. I gotta figure out how to fix that, you know? Right. That's right. my yeah. that's my thing. Yeah, that's happened my, under my watch. Yeah. yeah, that's what I have to yeah. battle with. Yep. And this this uh this last this uh, the seventh uh, concept or characteristic or bulleted item of extreme ownership is one he calls seize clear hold, seize grab grab some territory, clear it of all the bad stuff and then hold it right, and I mean that's really militaristic sounding like and it, well it comes from the from the the uh, seals. So we would expect that, but that, uh, you know, these guys went on to have this really pretty successful uh, business uh, group. So they, they, yeah. were, they had taken these concepts into businesses and about extreme ownership. And, uh, and so they were pretty su successful business consultants after coming out of this and writing this book. So, and so there is some, some, truth to this kind of idea like in the competitive environment and you know like when we had our construction company it was a very competitive construction company we did a lot of hard bid work for uh city of columbus a high state university a number of different it's called public works type stuff right and it's all based on hard bid type stuff you got to be low on your bid to get the job and um but what we were doing is we built a team of really good men. And then we, we had a philosophy of, you might of a, a very similar philosophy to this. So we really wanted the men on our team in our company to be part of the leadership. We wanted them to, to grab these concepts of, and run with the idea of um, extreme ownership. So some of the things he did, uh, is that when we would hire somebody, like if I were going to hire a superintendent or a carpenter or a project manager or anybody, I would do the initial interviews to bring the man on. And then the next level of interviews, they had to go interview on a job site with all of our guys in the field. And so these guys would, you know, the, they'd show up on a job site and then all the men would come in 
and they start looking at this guy and asking him questions. And then the only men that we hired were the ones that were approved by the men in the field. And at one point they picked a representative and sent the guy in to talk to me. <laughs> and the guy came in and he says, I want to talk to you about something. We got a complaint from the field. We guys in the field have a complaint. And I said, well, what is it? And they said, we really feel responsible for this company because of having to help pick out the guys that we're going to hire. And I said, good, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> That's what I want. I want you to be responsible. Yeah. And they, so in a sense, it was like, they, they really liked that though. And then in addition yeah. to that, we shared our profits with them. Mm. So they knew, and then, and then they knew like, it was like an open book type company and it really worked well. And mm. but we had a, we had a team of like, in a sense, and we were doing this way before this book was ever written. Right. So these were, uh, some things that we were, were running a company in accordance with these values that we had, you know, yeah. treating people well, paying them well, treating them like family, you know, with concepts like always tell the truth. Yeah. You know, be personally responsible. If you did something and you, you messed up, just fess up, man. Cause that's, yeah. That, yeah. You know, admit your mistakes and correct them and move on. So, but yeah. that allowed us then to, because we were, we had a really good team of men, we could bid projects and know that we were going to come in. Okay. Right. So we could take some, some, uh, uh, some, some competitive type projects that had a lot of risk to them, but we knew we had a team of men that could perform. Yeah. So does that kind of allowed us to grab market share position ourselves there? So there were times that, you know, other companies would see that we were bidding on a job and they just walk away from it. To get they knew to it was be. going to be really tough to get the job. Yeah. And we knew we could get it because we had the guys that knew how to do the job and do how to do it right. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a real, a real blessing. So I think that, uh, that idea of seize clear hold is sound, sounds super militaristic. Right. But, uh, I think that it's relatable to all of us that want to, you know, improve our lives and master ourselves in some way, because mm -hmm. it's like you, uh, I mean, even with the church, like you can relate it to Lent, like you're seizing this piece of ground and Lent, like I always had it portrayed to me as this thing, like just give something up and do something nice for somebody for 40 days. All right, Pete, just, <laughs> just do it once. Seize the opportunity. <laughs> just do it once for your life. But then it's kind of developed like over time to this thing, like what area of my life do I want to work on more now, you know? And so like, I'll use that time to seize a piece of my life and and clear it out and hold it you know what i mean and like whether that's yeah. an ascetic practice or or you know journaling or taking time to think whatever however to get better implementing a better habit that's a right i think that's a relatable way to think about that yeah and uh, and the idea of holding it though we already fought for this ground i'm not giving it up now right right absolutely in that respect it's like yeah i've gotten rid of this I've cleaned out this sinful aspect of my life that yeah. I'm not, you know, I, I seized it, I cleared it out and I'm holding it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not falling back. Right. Right. 
it kind of reminds me of, uh, I think, did you, did you meet Phil Labadee? I think you did meet Phil Labadee, didn't you? Yeah, he stayed at his house in Nebraska, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember when he came on the first expedition, he's been on a couple with me, great guy. And he came up to me in the middle of this expedition. And he said, John, um, you know, we're, um, since this is a treat and a retreat and everything, don't you think we should have a little time off? And I looked at him, I said, Phil, this is not a retreat. <laughs> we do not retreat for anybody. We only advance. <laughs> what do you say? He just laughed and said, okay, I get it. <laughs> Phil. <laughs> so yeah, this isn't a retreat, man. We're like, oh, we're moving forward more nights. So we're going to, we're going to basically seize clear and hold. Right. Yeah. And build on. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right. Our, our expeditions as well are great opportunities for that. Yep. Yeah. And, and you can kind of think about that with guys who climb, right? The rock climbers. Yeah. I mean, they're just like, no, let's get to the next plateau. Yeah. Yeah. We're heading to the next plateau. And that's kind of like our lives in general. We're kind of like climbers, right? We're, we're moving up to the next plateau. We're going to, we're going to seize that area. We're going to clear it and make it a good place for us to, to live and then get ready to move on to the next. Yeah. Yep. Hold it. Yep. And it, which comes back then to the, say the final, the final, uh, uh, concept and extreme ownership, which is prioritizing and executing, which feeds really well into Covey's third habit of first things first. Right. Yeah. So the idea is that you have to prioritize and then you have to execute. So with any plan, you have to really say, okay, we're going to go from this point to this point. And there's all these things we have to do in between to get the job done. So we have to prioritize which one comes first, second, third, all the way up to the end. And then we have to execute the plan. And that's just like, yep. Yeah, we kind of did an okay job of, I mean, bringing up the other, other leader leadership uh men that we've talked about before throughout the podcast and kind of how uh how they all just kind of mesh together you know you yeah. can take principles from all of them and see all the perspectives and just it's just presented in a different way and i yeah. think it's it's really interesting because like i relate more to to different ones like i didn't relate to singy really as much as like jordan peterson you know what i mean mm, right or like I think everybody's kind of like that. Like I relate more to Jocko than Jordan Peterson too. You know what I mean? Even though I'm not okay. in the military or anything, I just think that the way he speaks and the way he talks about things is just easier for me to grasp. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, but I, I think that's cool. Yeah. How we kind of circled back through accidentally. <laughs> yeah. It. Not so much of an accident, huh? Right. Maybe not for you. <laughs> Dir <laughs> not direction, <laughs> direction from the Holy Spirit. That's right. So yeah, and and just like that too, it's like it's eight fifty nine. We've been at this for an hour. It's hard to believe. Yeah, it's been a great, uh, great joy to to be with you, my brother, and to talk about these meaningful things. Yeah, and you too, to continue John. doing this. I think next week uh, we'll we'll get into I think this this concept. Okay, what's the best of the best leadership? principles and we'll just kind of roll it all together 
yeah, and the, into what we'll call the perennial philosophy of leadership. I like that. Yep. And then uh, keep an eye out on uh, uh, the uh, Wilderness Outreach page to see what we're up to. We got some events coming up next year. We got to we'll start posting some some more of our expeditions. I got to make some contacts with the Forest Service uh, this coming week and get us plugged into the Sierra Nevada up on the John Muir Trail or the uh, the Anzo Adams Wilderness again and go back into Wyoming in July and then uh, jumping out into the Red or the uh, Rogue River Gorge in Oregon in may and uh of course we'll be doing our annual carry the cross hike and then we'll be having a father-son camp out in march and also heading down to vince brewster's neighborhood down in tennessee coming up here in february to go work for the uh, sisters out in dixon at their retreat house in dixon tennessee and uh so anyway, I'll, if it's okay, anything that I haven't thought about, Peter, that we should bring up? I don't think so. I think you covered it all pretty well there. All right. So let's, let's say a, a prayer here for a conclusion. name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God of love, Father of all, the darkness that covered the earth has given way to the bright dawn of your word made flesh. Make us a people of this light. Make us faithful to your word, that we may bring your life to the waiting world. Grant this through Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. See you next week, folks.